Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm going to start with Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. It might not seem so significant on your end if you're listening on the radio, but it's significant to us that it actually is Wednesday when we're hearing that intro. <laughs> Recording yeah. on the day. It's been a rarity in these COVID times. I can't wait to go live again. It's going to feel so good just to know that whatever we say is out there and will own us for eternity. Well, we, we were about to go live, but I'm, I'm pretty sure now that those plans will also be pushed back given the state of New South Wales. Yeah, I'm not sure we'll be let into Tua Sierra as soon as we thought we might have been. But we hope to be seeing the crew at the studio, but nevertheless, in the meantime, we'll be recording and having fun over Zoom with freelance writer and critic Bharat Nehru as well, finishing those introductions off. Hey, hey guys. <laughs> it is going to be nice to see everyone in person again soon, because we are reviewing a movie that is in cinemas this week, the new Eliza Scanlon film, Baby Teeth, which is out tomorrow. And we are also reviewing The Old Guard, which is out on Netflix. Netflix have released um, high viewership numbers for this. We'll be discussing that and other aspects of the film a little bit later. In film news, though, the ongoing saga of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. I see and Christopher, Christopher Evans' uh, yeah, doubts about the viability of the release of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Which has now been, I quote, indefinitely delayed. My favorite joke about this on the internet was <laughs> someone just saying, no, 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 it's clear Noel actually hasn't made a film and has just kept trying to delay it and delay it. And now he just has the, and the studio thinking, what's, what's going on here? Is there actually a movie? Do you just have a treatment? Well, I think there actually is a movie, just we're not going to get to see it for a while. I think Christopher Nolan is actually desperate to release this film. I think if he were any other director, his movie would have been pushed way down the schedule like all the other big Warner Brothers blockbusters. But because Nolan has so much sway in the cinema, they've indulged his ridiculous idea of let's get this film out as soon as possible until it's becoming incredibly Yeah, uh, but it's becoming increasingly clear that that is not feasible. However, it was obvious from the beginning. I mean, the whole thing of pushing the movie back is just stupid. They should have just set it for well after things become safe. At this point, it sounds like they've, they're deciding on the staggered release strategy. So when it's considered safe to release in some areas, they'll release it there, meaning that it might actually get an international release before it comes out in the US. I don't see how this is a positive scenario for Nolan or the studio or anyone really. I feel like it means that a lot of people who are in lockdown are going to have their first viewing of the film not be in Nolan's glorious 70 millimeter true film IMAX, but on a camera. Yeah, the likes of Fast and Furious, which delayed till April 2021, among the number of the films looking very, very smart right now. Notably, we saw a lot of major delays till November, but now even those are looking a little sketchy. Uh, we've been reporting throughout the year, just from an Australian perspective, on festivals that have delayed a lot, either postponed for a year, like Cinema Reborn, or postponed till... Um, July, November. Um, the Children's National Film Festival are among a few that have had to respawn a couple of times. Notably, uh, the latest to postpone, the Jewish International Film Festival, which is set for as late as October, is actually now postponed till March, which uh, may be foreboding for things to come. Better safe than sorry. And it'll also give them, if it turns out that you know October was safe to run in, a bunch of film festivals that would have been held internationally won't have been held then. So they'll have a bigger crop to pick from. 
That's true. I mean, but I'm, we're hoping we have a vaccine because they're promising trials. Who knows? Yeah, well, what we're hearing out of Oxford is promising, but I wouldn't put hopes on having a real working vaccine in September. The, the results are still very early. It could be something that doesn't create long-term enough immunity from what I'm hearing. So just a non-film related note to take all COVID cure hype with a grain of salt and don't plan around those dates. Christopher trust. Nolan, I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, trust, no. trust the experts. We're, we're here to tell you, um, if you so accept our opinion, what movies you should watch. This, uh, this did give me an idea though. I think later on when, when we're all back together and we all just, you know, be able to touch each other, uh, you know, hug each other, you know, not that way, just, you know. So glad, I'm so glad we're not doing this live. Make a note to edit that later. <laughs> edit that. You know, just, you know, when, when social distancing is not a thing, we'll probably go back and try to have a, you know, our favorite medical movie kind of a thing, you know. Uh, have a, Watch like the lousiest episodes of House or just clips of Dr. McCoy from Star Trek. I, I still think you House know, had more medical truisms to, the, to it than like actual garbage. So I, I really could believe a bit of House. I saw a clip on the internet the other day. Okay, I'm going to spoil ER from a scene <laughs> was it, was where... Was anyone an ER fan? I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't was, uh, it was before my time. But yeah. um, this was a scene in ER where a doctor who in the previous season had had his arm cut off in a helicopter accident sees a helicopter on the roof and thinks, uh-uh, I'm not getting through that. And then a series of Final Destination-esque coincidences result in the helicopter tumbling off the roof and falling on him when he goes to get a breather on the street outside. Based what? on this we- clip, I decided that ER must be the greatest show in history. Was this the sort of stuff? I, I, like, every- I thought it was like a gritty, realistic medical drama. Okay, I was wrong. It was. I think this was considered a massive jump the shark moment. But nonetheless, I want to watch a medical drama where that kind of thing happens in every episode. Helicopters yeah. here. Helicopters I, I, there. I'm trying to react to this. Like, okay. No, some of that ingenuity was in the old guard. We might have liked it a lot more. Right. But- that's exactly. The old guard needed stuff like that. Pure <laughs> schlock. Oh, and just as a side note, we talked a little bit last week about cinemas are reopening. We are reviewing a film in cinemas. If you feel comfortable going to cinemas, and certainly they are enforcing social distancing guidelines and measures, we encourage you to do so. However, if you don't feel comfortable, we had a private discussion in regards to this earlier this week. That's absolutely okay. Do what you feel comfortable doing. And when cinemas can have a problem, there's a vaccine. We're all just going to be telling you, and we're all going to be flooding. We'll all see you there in person. Until then... I'm, I'm, I'm booking a month's worth of movies in the, in the cinemas once this is all over. Rather than booking a holiday, I'm probably going to just be like, you know, a movie a day, essentially. Just one? In, in well, the, the holiday movie. is something you probably won't be allowed to do. The cinemas, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's true as well. So actually, I'm, I'm just going to camp out on the top floor of the Ritz if I can't fly back to America. I'm just going to sit there and like have a little picnic and a little tent. And oh, I don't think you're going to America anytime soon, Glenn. No, no. Oh, I do, I do miss it. Anyhow, we should talk about, before we get into the movies, about what is happening this week on streaming. So the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is still screening online until August 2nd. Move in Bed, which transforms Move in Car, is happening. Oh, sorry, it's not longer at Sydney, but it's happening in Canberra, if you're listening in Canberra. The Taiwan Film Festival is happening until July 30th online. The Alliance Francais French Film Festival is happening until August 4th at Palace Cinemas in Sydney and around the country. The Geelong International Film Festival is screening online until Friday night, as is Lawn Film, and continuing in their regular Friday installments are Static Vision, with a screening event from 6pm on Friday. But for now, we want to talk all things Baby Teeth, which is a new Eliza Scanlon film, which is in cinemas from tomorrow, and I think premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival? No, it premiered at Venice in competition. 
Baby Teeth is a new Australian film. It's based on a play that showed at Belvoir Street Theatre and was commissioned by Belvoir in 2012. The film is written by the playwright, adapting her own play. Her name is Rita Kalneas. I hope I got that right. The director is Shannon Murphy. It stars Eliza Scanlon as Miller, who is a teenage girl who is suffering from a terminal illness. She runs into, by chance, a drug dealer and general delinquent called Moses, who is in his <laughs> early 20s and doesn't have a home to go to. But he seems to really notice her and she's really taken by him. And soon her parents, played by Ben Mendelsohn, who is a psychiatrist, and Essie Davies, who is his patient, as well as his wife and mother to Miller, agree to allow Moses to live with Miller. So, you know, despite him being everything they would usually oppose being in their daughter's life, so as to potentially brighten her final days. That's essentially what the film's about. I thought this film was elevated a lot by the performances. Toby Wallace, who plays Moses, the drug dealer, had real natural charisma. He was completely believable. The entire Central Four, I thought, were incredibly good. Essie Davies plays a, a person who was insanely needy and demanding of her family. And you could see how annoying she was, but also have sympathy because of the mental struggles she was going through. Ben Mendelsohn brought a lot of life and nuance to his character with like this direct Aussie blokiness, but also... Ben Mendelsohn was and has consistently been probably the best part of everything he does. So. I thought he was the highlight here, but um, I was really impressed by Toby Wallace Eliza Scanlon was also brilliant, but she was the character who I think was the most let down by the writing here. Yeah. The thing about the writing in this film for me is the concept I find really interesting. And I thought there was a lot of life at the margins of these characters in their lives. There were a lot of interesting things to explore and the film touched on them. But the central thrust of it, Miller coming to grips with her mortality and her first love, felt like there were depths to be explored that the film did not get at for me. And ultimately I was, I was left flat by this film, which is a problem because it's really pushing hard on the tearjerker buttons. Okay. This kind of felt like a gritty retelling of Fault in Our Stars for me. You know, if The Fault in Our Stars was not based in a John Green universe, but instead, you know, you would transport that into a more gritty David Micho kind of universe where people are just just generally gritty. So <laughs> I like that idea, but the, the problem with that is that it was totally such a mishmash because on, on one hand, it is trying to be more realistic in how it's dealing with people's emotions. And there there is a recurring theme about whether or not you are allowed to express your emotions the way you're supposed to. So I think all the characters, and Ben Mendelsohn in this case, really does play that idea with the psychiatrist kind of role figure coming through about, you know, what is the role of human emotion? How do we get through and how do we express it? And there is a lot about mortality, but it becomes this kind of self-pitying philosophical potato mash in the in I mean, the for the most part, I thought it's a pretty straight drama with occasional yeah. light comedy elements. I think the directing does a lot to smooth over some of these issues because with the writing, there's sometimes cutesy kind of coincidences and contrivances in there. There's a structural decision to break it into chapters with cutesy names yeah. that, you know, it feels like, oh, is this going to become this really cutesy, quirky type thing? But yeah. the, the kind of gritty Australian indie type direction from Shannon Murphy 
I think basically smooths things down and, and treats things deadly serious. Um, and, and I think that's part of the problem, right? Where I, I, you feel the the play, I'm, I haven't read the original play, but I guess the playwright's vision of this film was quite different from the director's vision of the film. Probably, but I feel like, uh, I mean, I might be wrong, but I feel like what I'm getting from the direction here, I respond to more than what I'm getting from the writing. Um, there I agree, few... but I just wanted it to be like, pick one, you know, for, and it, it, it right. kind of felt like both were competing for the center stage at, at moments. Well, it's a first time director. So um, I think it'll, it might take a while for her to be fully confident. Yes, but it, it still is a, from quite a, a very... Voice, I, I still feel the directorial vision was stronger than the script. Absolutely, I agree. I so, think it's a very so promising debut. Director, I think that's an amazing compliment. Yeah, it's a very, very promising debut. There are a few things about the script that bugged me. For the most part, it's been translated to a film pretty well, but there are a few moments where there's contrivances that I would not accept in a film, but I think in a and play because of kind of monologue it's not dialogue it, well, it does become very monologue so that's, i didn't that's find it to be too monologue i feel like it's been broken down into realistic chunks of dialogue mostly pretty know, well but, but it's but more it just kinda, it, it did kind of feel like especially when the characters get self-reflective i could see that those I, were the monologues in in a play oh, yeah look i wanted to translate it straight to screen yeah, yeah there yeah. could have been better ways to well, I wanted to that. get to that actually, but um, before I do, the biggest annoyance of the play to screen transition for me is I think play audiences have been conditioned to accept greater suspension of disbelief in terms of coincidences that keep the core cast together because plays have such an economy of settings. There's practical as well as timing reasons why you can't just change scenes and you accept things that characters are all together in one place. Yeah. yeah. In films, this, this is always the weak point in transferring a, a play to a film. In films, you know, all the characters are together or characters make a decision to allow them to be together or they walk in at, at, at the, just the right time and you think, hang on, uh, <laughs> that, that's not how it happens in real life because there's an expectation of a greater adherence to, quote, realism. Yeah. Yeah, there was some, just to show you, there was some very frustrating moments in the film where you reviewed the King of Staten Island. Oh, King of Staten Island. Oh, Fences is a perfect example where it's just a straight yeah. adaptation. But the King of Staten Island oh, is written like a play horrible. where there are moments where characters just walk in, like the pool scene. What are you even doing here? Yeah, so towards the, the there's a big moment of where it, uh, that brings all the cast together early in Baby Teeth. I've sort of given it away in the intro. It's when, when they first accept Moses, you can live in our place. And I thought, really? After that moment, it was way more believable. But then later in the film, it became confusing because all these old characters are together. And it's like, was there cut material to explain why some of these side characters were all allowed to congregate now? Or do they have a bigger relationship than I understood? Is this just a theatrical device? Is this meant to be a dream sequence? It was confusing kind of relics, I think, of the adaptation process. But with what Virat was saying about these things that probably were cut down from monologues, towards the end of the film, there's this, as you say, Virat, a sudden swerve into philosophical discussions about mortality, and <laughs> it's way too sudden of a tonal shift. Yeah, like I, I, mean, I even it just went like Sunset Boulevard turned eleven, and I was well, just like, "What is going on?" <laughs> it's it's not like Sunset Boulevard, guys. I know, it's but not, it's, it's not, it's not, <laughs> but like but you know, it, it becomes very dark and heavy, and the subject matter should allow for that. But the film had always struck a tone of like grittiness, but looking for optimism amongst it that. It was like and I, I don't, for they, like seventy five percent, and suddenly it just pivoted. They didn't sell. Yeah, they they didn't sell the transition when it comes at the end, and then it, it's a shift into massive tearjerker territory. 
yeah, it didn't work for me. And especially because a lot of that is tied to kind of symbolic threads, which probably as, as you say, Virat, I mean, I don't know, but it would make sense if some of these ideas were expressed in monologues, but yeah. they haven't um, been, some of the symbols that are brought up to Hammer Home, the emotional climax, haven't really appeared in the film. And I was thinking there are ways that they could have been introduced visually. Like suddenly yeah, there's a lot the of- The language of the film could have focus really on bir- improved. Yeah, that like near the end of the film, suddenly there's a lot of talk- focus on like birds, the sky, the natural world, when that thread wasn't really established earlier in the film. And it would have had more emotional significance to me if that meant something within the film as it is. It just kind of just feels manipulative like to throw in the yeah. kitchen sink at the end to try to get you to cry. Especially because um, like for the majority of the film, the film takes a very, I wouldn't say happy, but a, a more matter of optimistic approach, approach yeah. to, you know, terminal illness. It's, it's not, it's not trying to push your buttons. So when it does, I'm just like, it, oh, you avoided this. And it's too much. Time. Yeah. And it's the easy and it time that really brings so out the wisdom in the writing. Like nothing to, or everything. Not. Yeah. And, this film, as you say, is dealing in a world of cliche. Yeah. But I think for the most part, there's a few moments where it's risking tipping into <laughs> look at how quirky we are. Yeah. But for the most part, it's really smoothed over. And I thought the, the direct, gritty approach worked really well. Again, this goes yeah, down to being more really, impressed by the directorial vision than the writing. Yes, that's, I agree. The, the performances, directorial vision, it's a, it's a mediocre script that's elevated into... I think so into a much better production. But a mediocre script that nonetheless has some quite interesting ideas. It's oh, just, yeah. there's a frustration in, in what they choose to focus on and what they don't. But I do give the film credit for having such interesting ideas that a lot of these characters and what they're going through are interesting to think about. That's what I mean when I say there's life at the margins. Like Ben Mendelsohn's character and his relationship with his wife, really interesting. And it's been a long time since we've been even mildly excited by any Australian film. So I guess, you know. Definitely a director to watch. And these are actors who you always want to watch. Yeah, kind of wish this was our introduction to Elijah Scanlon. Anyway, moving on. We we talked about, uh, we did talk, our first episode of this year was talking about Eliza Scanlon, um, Little Women. In a great film, Little Women. Yeah, that's true. Are you maybe referencing to some recent controversies that we've covered a lot on Film Fight Club? <laughs> yeah, which which will remain unnamed now because yeah, we're not unnamed. We're talking, we're talking about mukbang. Be clear. Uh, we've covered it extensively. I don't think we have anything more to say on it. We don't. But I really wonder what's in the future for Toby Wallace. That guy was great. Um, I know he's already doing American stuff. He's in this society in in a much more believable way because you know it, it his character sketch is such a cliche. I mean, there's right. nothing on paper for him to do. And but I totally believed in him in the film. Yeah. And it's for such a flimsy, it's something that he brings with the mannerisms of it. It's so well observed from like yeah, this real a physical actor, which is not something you see much. It's a real guy who you do run into in train stations in Sydney in the afternoon. Yeah. That, you know, like it's such a believable rendition. Yeah. And uh, he brought the kind of sensitive side in him without compromising the roughness he made the whole conception of the character believable. Definitely. I mean, I know we look like we're being harsher on it than we, we should be, but there's a lot to admire in the film, more more than to be nitpicky. And I think... I would overall recommend it, but um, yeah. I had some big issues with it. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's issues in the sense that it's still worth discussing about rather than completely dismissing. Which is yeah. still, I guess, when I'm indifferent towards a movie, that's when I really find it hard to discuss. But here at least... Speaking of which... raises a lot... <laughs> Our next oh, yeah. film, yes. The Old Guard, 
Yes, The Old Guard, the new Netflix film, which apparently has had a ridiculous number of views. To note that Netflix has now changed the criteria from you have to have watched a film, 70% of a film, to you have to have watched all of, what, two minutes of the film? So I don't know how many people turned it on for two minutes and then thought, nah, not having this, got Look, the tone right away, which is probably right on, and then I moved on. I struggled to get through this film. I started watching it last night, and if I didn't have to review it, Based on the first couple of minutes, I would have said, no, nah, I'm out. I'm done with this film. But that's okay, because Netflix would have counted that as a view. So exactly. That's- so that makes me feel less saddened by this being the seventh most successful Netflix launch for a film of all time. No, or, or would you be more ashamed having been one of those people who has seen The Old Guard? Would you rather be one of those people who's not seen it? I mean, it's yes, I would bad. rather not have watched it. <laughs> I'm prepared to draw an extension, distinction here between something that is bad and uninspiring, but we'll get to that. The Old Guard. It is the new film with Charlie Theron. It also stars Kiki Lane from If Beale Street Could Talk, Matthias Schoenhertz, Chiwetel Lojifer, and um, Mawan Kanzari. Jafar himself is in this movie. And <laughs> it is about a group of immortal assassins, as they brand themselves, who are now a sort of modern-day black ops team They've all been alive for varying centuries. They go and they rescue people. They do good things and try and take out bad guys. And Charlie Theron is the leader of this group. We're not quite clear how old she is or how long they've all been around. And this narrative deals with both a lot of action, attempts by some individuals to capture them and harness their power, as well as the emergence of a new immortal who all of them kind of sense through dreams and visions. Sense-8. One of the things ripped off, like this whole movie is a hodgepodge of things copied from other better properties. It's and, also on Netflix, right? Well, there's nothing original yeah. here. Oh, there's nothing original here. But yeah, the, the just, oh, I feel there's a new one. We need to bring them into the group. It's just straight out of Sense8. The whole movie is just like, what if John Wick action meets Groundhog Day slash Edge of Tomorrow? But it's got the kind of like only lovers left alive. Like, oh, we're talking about culture and, uh, you know, because we've, we've lived through it all and we're immortal. Yes, I knew him, William Shakespeare. Ha, huh, what a fraud. Like, at first, it seems like it's going in that I kind of direction. I was once worshipped as a god. You believe in religion? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, at first, I thought, all right, is, you know, I've seen this before. Guys, have um, you realized that you, we've actually made better jokes than any of the jokes in the movie? Well, right, yeah. the movie has a weird but tone. It's think, trying to be really serious action, but it has these little quippy moments and the bad choice of music. Bad. Oh, dude, I was going to, I was going to get into that. But basically, um, like, just going into how bereft of ideas this movie is, squad, sorry. where it's all just stuff thrown together from other movies. It's like, you've got people who've lived forever and seen all this stuff there is to do in the world. And what do they do? Special Xbox missions. It's like, here I am in a video game with a samurai sword and jewel wielding guns and, and like shooting contractors. That's how someone who is immortal chooses to live their life. Okay. It's also, it's a team of immortal people from all over the world. And I never see any Chinese or Indian people. What are the chances? Um, well, there is an, an Asian character. I'm not sure of their exact. Seems to be Middle Eastern because he was part of the Crusades. Oh, no, I'm referring to, I don't want to discuss. It's, it's someone who's is brought it up flashback? in flashback. Yes. Okay. Yeah, which, which also... Did, I, I, I just thought... I didn't think there was anyone from India or China, and that's like half the world's population. Probably like, I think anyway. reincarnated or something. Who knows? Now, yeah, they implied there can be so many of these people 
at one time on that storyline we just alluded to the film makes well i don't mind elements of the plot the film makes a terrible sin as so many films do now of teasing more interesting elements for a sequel which why do you do this the sequel tease though is just kind of like i don't know who any of these characters are and i'm not intrigued enough about this world that when i see a mysterious thing at the end i'm like oh what's that i'm just like oh cool another thing i won't care about but like, what is the level of self-confidence that you need to have to just tease a sequel of a shit movie? Now, I don't think there will be a, necessarily a sequel to this. They should have put all the good stuff in the first film. My biggest issue, Chris alluded to it, <laughs> is that this film is very bereft stylistically. It's very base. It's like the bad Rainbow Six early game annotations versus the later better stuff. I like that we're rolling with the uh, Xbox game thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 At my Guilty Pleasure series that I love, I will hear anyone say a word against, even though I know many parts of it are objectively bad, is the Underworld series. I love it to death. Now, this is another series where there's a lot of people who've lived for a very long time, who have amazing martial arts capabilities, but in addition to incredible and style, more and, and swords, but moreover, more importantly, you're under great love. Okay, Jesus, amazing. That those films are incredible. This. But there's there's to make sense because if you've lived for hundreds of years, you would be very smart, you would be able to develop new technology, and you would probably have invested and built up a lot of wealth and property and good material. Yeah, the world yeah these guys just and these guys this, are just dumb all they have is mercs. And they the go around and sword. look like they're pretty well in shock. Because that would be cool. After the they're just dumb mercs. It's like, oh, we can do these missions because... And then they try to, to... Maybe they realize midway through writing the script, this just makes them sound not that cool for people who are that old. So suddenly it invests them with some other kind of magical power that isn't really explained. That she would tell Ijafor is obsessing over. Um, but the thing is, like, when this movie started, it was like, these characters are so uninteresting. Like, I don't care at all. Like, they're, like, it's just so flatly shot, and there's no spark to any of their interactions. And as Glenn said, sometimes they quip, but it's never funny. And the action is just so, like, all right, we've seen it in John Wick movies. There's just absolutely no panache. Like, there's no vision and no reason to make them It's just completely generic. And the only thing that's maybe different from a normal... Uh, you know, big budget movie in making this a Netflix movie is as Glenn said, the way music's dropped in is very strange, very like music video-y. Like it's using pop music in places where in a more yeah, smooth Hollywood studio release in theaters, you'd have more orchestral music. But there's a lot of bad pop music cues. And it, it feels like, like if you're making a movie with no original ideas like this, I feel like you should treat it as fun schlock. But this is treated like it's meant to be really serious and you're not meant to care about the emotional connection between these boring characters. There's all these Boston legal star music cues that are just absolutely not needed. Um, on the matter of the character interactions, there's one real interesting dynamic that I like. And it's the idea that if you've lived for hundreds or maybe thousands of years and you can't die, what if, you just, what, what if one or more of these people just have an impulsion to end it all? That's interesting. The film brings it up, but doesn't really explore that. I think that was really disappointing. On the matter of the action, aside from being very generically staged, um, it's very generically shot. There's only one really good action sequence by my count, and it's later in the film in an office complex where the quite sort of camera movement matches the choreography and the people are actually working together. And that's the thing. There's all there's, These people are supposed to know each other for hundreds of years. It's supposed to be an efficient unit. Why isn't every sequence of them interacting much more concretely they're all doing individual things going off like a rogues gallery there's a lot more potential here that why the concept just wasn't mined isn't it interesting how netflix has created this category where it's like direct to video but with a real hollywood budget but it still feels like a direct to video movie in every other way 
Yeah, Charlize, you want to put you in this? Here's, here's a, here's movie of our time. Yeah, um, th this is like a direct-to-video action movie, but it has a budget of higher than something like Atomic Blonde. Why is Charlize in all these bad action movies? Oh yeah, oh, actually talking about bad action movies, this her look in this reminded me of another bad Charlie Theron. Aeon Flux. Like, yes, yes, I was gonna say yeah. that Aeon Flux. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like the same, the the cut and like the whole look, and I just thought like, are you gonna shoot arrows now? And she did kind of. Almost. That at least had David Leach's choreography to the level of yeah. um the first John Wick film. I'm talking about Atomic Blonde, obviously. The choreography and the, the action choreography, excepting that one scene, is just an, an element of the um sequence at the beginning and i think it's south sudan are just not very good i totally agree on the action by the way but speaking of generic elements the jesse eisenberg's lex luther i'm the youngest oh, ceo in pharma you want to see me die in the most violent way possible already villain was just so bad the whole plot is just the typical i will collect the x-men and steal their power type thing and it's <laughs> the whole thing like Isn't it's Palpatine so now? done it, well, i know yeah. i did look kind yeah. of laughs why okay why is every tech bro in everything whether it's an action movie or comedy i'm watching um zoe's story playlist right now it's the same thing it's always a 30 year old guy with curly hair he's who got a hoodie under a blazer and a super nerdy <laughs> and granted i am a 30 year old guy with dark curly hair who wears t-shirts and jackets but i'm not super evil and i hate seeing myself on the screen always portrayed like this God. Well, I have I have less personal reasons for hating it, which is that it just seems lazy. Like you will hate this guy. Who some market research has found that thirty year old tech bros wearing hoodies under suits are the most hated people in the universe. Sorry, you know, guys, like, I'm, I'm the youngest CEO in pharma. <laughs> but like he says that, like he's <laughs> like, sinister, sinister thing about this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did have a cool axe at one point, which wasn't even his. Uh, yeah, Eddie Redmayne in Cloud Atlas. Don't you mean Jupiter Descending? Yeah, 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 yeah. You mixed up my mixed up my bad movies. Is there anything good about this movie? Uh, we've said the action sequences. I think the I think Charlie Theron is very good as she always is. She's, She's so serious, good. you know. I just like her that um, she Lane was fine. She just had bad dialogue. Completely empty yeah. things. She's able to find a level of commitment into like even possibly shitty roles. I don't know how. I don't know how she does it. She's going way below idea. But the writing's so bad, it's just it, you see the acting. It's just like, oh, that's a convincing, sincere face that she's making this action figure do for the serious moment before the squad go in for the Splinter Cell Metal Gear Solid thing. <laughs> it's just, I don't care. Why is always set in Morocco? They're always set in Morocco for some reason. I don't know. But I've shown her, he's such a good actor. He looks so bloody bored. What Same the hell is Chiwetel Ejiofor doing in this? This guy was in Serenity. He can actually do martial arts. Put him in a better role that becomes him in this movie. What the hell? Also, just the, the concept of this movie where it's like, oh, our power is invincibility. It's like the most boring way to do a superhero movie. It's like, oh, great. There's going to be no stakes to the action scenes. They try to complicate that in a few things like, oh, it's bad if they get captured or, oh, maybe they'll stop healing, you know, uh, as if we, I haven't seen that before in, in the other thing, you know, the, the most prominent example of this trope, Wolverine. Like, it, it's just... Double tap. I'm suspicious of this and, and zombie movies where it's like, we're going to get to show lots of cool ways people can get gored, but it's okay. They'll keep coming back. Like, uh, I don't know. Just the appeal of it is completely lost on me, I guess. Nothing it, if you do it in a funny way, right? If it was like Edge of Tomorrow, some of the ways that Tom Cruise got splattered and kept coming back were funny. If you treat it seriously, it's just coming out like gore porn. 
Oh, the, the worst uh, culprit of this is the opening sequence where the characters just uh, uh, it's either the characters all die or seem to die and everyone just turns around it's like oh i suppose they'll be dead now i suppose they'll just stay that even though they would be briefed on what's going on i, I, I assumed those guys hadn't out. been briefed i assumed those guys hadn't been briefed because it was all just to create proof it was just to create no it was just to create a video for the farmer guy and we know he he doesn't care about human life but then again neither did these guys I'm just reacting against a lot of the tropes in action cinema because I'm becoming too woke probably because like watching this, I was just thinking it, it you know, like in the, these climactic action scenes, it's just like, take that contractor, you know, your life is over now. I hope the pay rise like was Finn worth it. Ha ha. We kill it's like, like Finn knocking out stormtroopers, just not seeming conflicted at all. Right. The, these, these guys have been alive for thousands of years, I guess. So life means nothing to them. So it's cool if we just kill a billion faceless goons, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There's always faceless goons. Yeah. It's a video game. It's a bad video game. It's a video game. Yeah. Even it's not as interesting as a video game. It's just. Well, if you get to play video games. Oh yeah, that's true. I'm not a clearly. I've I've been outed as not a video game noob or a nerd. What 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 are they called? The people who like playing video games. What are they called? I don't know. Gamers. Uh, gamers. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Those who like the game. The technical term is gamers. Of control. Yeah. And the, the poor gaming community who's waiting for a good movie that's not Mortal Kombat. God damn it. Like, like something the, the, has to be on the way soon. Yeah. But it's, it's uh, getting way off this movie now. It's interesting because, like, the percentage of the, the movie's not interesting. Is, it's not. The percentage of female gamers now is, like, pretty significant. But when I say gamer, because it was so associated with these things like Gamergate, TFW, no GF, et cetera, type stuff, you hear gamer and you're like, oh, yeah, it's a guy. Anyway. Gamer girl, no, just gamer. Okay. The term is you, gamer. Okay, so, so uh, I saw on the interwebs the other day. There's a game coming out called Gamer Girl, where you play the person who moderates a gamer girl's <laughs> chat, and you have to help protect her from a stalker. The ultimate twist would be if the stalker is you, right? <laughs> oh my god! Wow. For the M Night Shyamalan, they have to do that. They have to do that. Anyway. Wow. So yeah, old guard. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not great. It's not very good either. They spend a lot of time around France. I like rural France, so that the film had that going for it. In France and this one, the really serious music, the really like sincere yeah. pop music that's playing at any emotional moment in the narrative. Just, oh god! At least John Wick Three knew it was trash. At that point, they were just like, it's about watching people getting destroyed. It still had interesting action choreography. Oh, it did. Yeah, it did. But it, at that point, they were just like, who cares? Because this is like, yeah, maybe what John Wick really needed is like gravitas because we want you to care about these characters so you come back for the sequel. Yeah. Like instead yeah, of a tech one, bro farmer guy. So someone in the studio would have said, we need a female John Wick. Oh, that was Atomic Blonde. They're still trying to make it happen. So maybe that person is Charlize Theron. But I think that in, instead of the tech pharma bro guy, we should have like the Netflix executive or whoever <laughs> who, who greenlights these kinds of things. That can be like the new stock type for the villains. Like yeah. you see this guy and you're like, yeah, I just want to see him have the most gratuitous pornographic death. You know, like, like how the tech pharma guy announced himself. Like as soon as he was going in about... My 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 products are going to save the world. You know, I was like, all right, this guy is going to die in a really baroque way. You knew it was going to happen, right? 
It's not very, as well. <laughs> I, I, I'm reminded of that scene in San Andreas where I'm sitting in the cinema and there's the rich guy who abandons the kids. I turn to my friend and I say, that guy's going to die the best death. And we get to the crux of the film and like, he hasn't died. And then he's on the San Francisco Bridge and it's like shipping container just crushes him. Sorry for right. minor San Andreas spoilers, but you should go see that movie. Right. Spoilers for ER. Spoilers for San Andreas. It's just we're spoiling everything tonight. Uh, it's not like, like, like this. It's not a spoiler. There's no, you, you can't really spoil this film. Mawan Kanzari was better in this than he was in Aladdin, though. Yeah. Yeah, he was terrible in Aladdin. What went wrong? Wait, did we, did we review? Did we watch Aladdin? You didn't see it, but me and Glenn did. Okay, yeah. yeah we, 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 I, I was we, like, I'm pretty sure I avoided that. You were right. You, like, there's no need to see it. But it was fine no, for I what it is. No, Aladdin it's a recently. Fun, look, it's, yeah, it's, it's we trash. judged it too harshly. It was, it, it's enjoyable. I enjoyed it, but there's no need, especially if you've watched the recent um, animated film, because everything they added to the live action was worse. It's still a fine production. Uh, Lion King. With- How much do you like the old guy that moved off to year-old Disney film? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, actual old guard. The old guard of the movies. <laughs> and that will be the old guard soon, because all there'll be is TikTok, and the cinemas will be permanently closed. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> the old guard is like, there, was a, there was a part of me which is actually terrified by that. <laughs> <laughs> and you may be right, which is why I'm just like, I don't think, if I laugh, then I'm, I know that I'm, you know, it might You're be crying crazy. on the inside. No, Chris, I'm there's going to be an old guard sequel in cinemas alongside the TikTok movies called The New Guard. That's what's going to happen Ooh. in 2022. Maybe, yeah, we'll have like TikTok stars reacting in the corner, like every five seconds. Oh no! I'll just doing like a comedy skit reacting to what just yeah. happened in the movie. Does anyone actually have TikTok? No, I don't. I'm a boomer. No, no. Yeah, neither. Okay. But but I, I do follow a lot of tennis stars who have their own TikTok and they have some funny. Videos. Like tennis Sandgren, he's a star. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can never resist the. I don't know. I, I don't know why tennis Sandgren popped into my head. Just when I, I I'm following tennis. Before you said tennis stars, I was like hearing I'm following tennis. It's like oh yeah, you, you, you're a big fan of tennis. Sandgren. <laughs> he's not, by the way. No, but but it's interesting. He's got an interesting political history. He's because he got so trolled for his alt right, far right views. He got trolled in public by uh for his views so right. much that he just then said, "Oh, I'm apolitical now." And then oh, okay. Apolitical. <laughs> and, and and the heavens rejoiced. Oh, well, no, but just, just generally, because he's like, I'm, I'm trying to focus on my tennis and not on my politics. And, right. it, and by my tennis, he means himself. <laughs> yeah. Tennis has got to go focus on the be tennis. Clear, he's not, his name isn't actually spelt like yeah, tennis. Yeah, it's a Y instead of an I. No, it's two T T and yeah, T-E-N-N-Y-S. Yeah. He's probably your guy but his claim to fame is pushing Roger Federer to five sets. Did not think it was in him to do it. There was a time when I thought he could actually lose, and I was like, I cannot live in a world where Roger Federer has lost to tennis sanguin. Roger Federer is good at tennis. He can't lose to a guy named tennis. It would be the cruelest joke of all time. It, yeah, luckily, luckily, Feds pulled it out for that one. Um, but um, he pulled it <laughs> off anyway. Uh, but uh, you know, there's another movie in cinemas out at the moment that we none of us have even seen. We could have seen it, but we didn't. It's called The Burned Orange Heresy, and like 
I, you know, vaguely knew there was a movie with that name coming out, but I didn't really pay attention. And then I look at the poster and like Mick Jagger is one of the lead credited actors. That's weird, right? That is weird. I just saw him on a Zoom concert reuniting with all the Rolling Stoneses. That's less weird. But like the Burnt Orange Heresy starring Mick Jagger to me is weird. And even the name, like, is that a catchy name? Mick Jagger, yeah. I'm review- no, Mick Jagger certainly is, but I'm, I'm reviewing the name of the movie that I haven't seen, oh, Burnt the, Orange Heresy. The name, the name is good. It's automatically more interesting than The Old Guard. Right. Like, it stars Elizabeth Debicki, Donald Sutherland, Clay's Bang, and Mick Jagger. Oh, they're good actors. Yeah. Um, He's great in whatever thing he does. But anyway, this is, this is out of the movies at the moment. Baby Teeth is out of the movies at the moment. The Old God's streaming on Netflix, so watch the first two minutes of it. Decide it's not be worth counted. your time. And, uh, you know, you can be part of that growing number of uh, satisfied customers. It's... I'm just trying to think if there's any other thing I could say about this movie, but they really... I think we've covered it. It's strange that it's got so much traction to me. I think part of it is that we're just not getting big budget first. When we see a big budget film... Big actors. With it's so action driven, it's like and, wow, we have had not had a hit of this in a while. And but if this had come out at any other regular time, it would not be getting nearly the level of traction it's getting I, now. I think movies like this and Atomic Blonde really are made for Netflix, whether or not they debut at the cinema. I think the John Wick esque action film is going to become a big direct to video subgenre because there's a ton of people out there who it reaches who are video game fans. Like video game fans loved John Wick because it's gun porn and because of like the unrealism of it. And I mean, I, I don't know. I can't say why people loved it. I can only speculate. But a lot of people who might not ordinarily get excited about a movie might be like, oh yeah, Invincible Dudes doing Gun Carter. Okay. I think that's a big demographic actually of people I'm, who don't want to leave the house. Stuff. I, I, I don't watch too much of it, but I like the John Wick movies. Yeah, I, I liked John Wick at first, but at this point I'm done with it. And suddenly there's a billion imitators starting to come out. So, yay. Yay. So, those are the movies that you can go see. We'll be back next week. Let us know what you want us to fight about, whether it be in cinemas or streaming. We are seeing movies gradually in little bits come out now. Yeah. But also, we're happy to take your recommendations. And we usually are very good at actually following up. Following yeah, if we get something that's feasible to do, we'll do it. So, you can contact us at twitter.com slash filmfightclubau or facebook.com slash filmfightclub. And we have done previous recommendations, so it's like, you know, you can... And those have been some of my favorite episodes, to be honest. The Billy Wilder one was great. You know, the apartment's on at the Ritz this week. I I should check when it's on. The Ritz are playing all the old Bond... All the Bond films. Really? Everyone, one a week. They're doing, I think, Vertigo they're up to in the Hitchcock retrospective they've been doing. Wow. I want to see... What's it called? Raging Uh, Bulls on Tonight. Taxi Drivers on tomorrow. Heather's on Friday. Uh, yeah, tomorrow. Don't Friday. Like Heather's. Heather's is great. Um, no, it's sorry. Heather's really is on isn't. Thursday night. Blues Brothers Friday. Big Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. The Goonies Saturday. Some Like It Hot Saturday. Back to the Future Saturday. Back to the Future 2. Yeah, there's Back to the Future Marathon on Saturday. There's Reservoir Dogs on Saturday. E.T. On, T on Sunday. The Apartment on Sunday. Should, uh, and should, uh, the, uh, but the Apartment is clashing with Vertigo. That's not fair. Vertigo is also on at 2 p.m. if you can go during the week, though, on Wednesday. Point is, there's more. There's Good, Bad, and the Ugly, Breakfast Club, Big Lebowski, Scarface, Fight Club, Continued, Fellini, and uh, Hitchcock Retrospectives, and The Room. There's a ton of stuff to watch at The Ritz, so The Ritz are cool. If if you're going to watch The Room, we recommend uh, maintain, don't throw spoons 
for uh, people just as a pandemic and stuff. Yep. Just use your best judgment. Glenn, it's, a, it's, it's real end of the episode type stuff where I need to pull these things up. It always seems strange to me the way you say room, like an English person where it's like room, but you don't say like Zoom meetings. Like it doesn't cohere with the rest of your pronunciations. It's, it's a funny little quirk. Master. Master. <laughs> so Chris is alluding to my South African heritage where um, when we came here, we had a very, it was, I learned my accent by watching a lot of British and Australian television, hence right. why it's a strange mix. Right, right, right. There's a few things that remain, so I yeah. can't say vroom or vroom, but the word zoom and vroom are two different sounds, so off. But they, are, but they aren't in an Australian accent, right? Like they basically rhyme directly with each other. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, they do. They, it's true, but uh, just a little. Uh, it's just a funny little, little quirk. It's just the my... things that make us who we are. It's fine, you know. It is yeah. room. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just like it always I, sticks out to me, and I'm like, ah, oh, I should mention that. I remember coming to ask that as well. Yes, it's been, it's been nice recording here in my room. And uh, <laughs> we, we, we always can make room for your. I'm not even inflecting. This is just how I speak yeah, for yeah. your recommendations. And if you are getting around town, just. Be careful, vroom vroom, and all that. And I, think, uh, uh, I was I, I brushed my floor with a broom this morning. I, I can't think I can't think of any more. What are the I think, other I think you've done well enough. I'm I'm impressed. Thank you, Glenn. Yeah. Maybe your hair could do with a bit of grooming. Huh? Groom, groom, groom. What do you mean? What? what? Oh, I say. <laughs> the record. We're not recording on video, so we can't actually see my. Can't see. So it's just a random. It's a random card. I'm very sensitive about my hair. Um, groom, groom's, groom's the same as Zoom. So d- d- different right. intonation. Bride and groom. Bride and groom. Yeah. yeah. Different. Actually, I never, it, it, there's one of those weird little language things. You never notice some, I mean, you, you're obviously bilingual. So you would notice things, you, you, you would have been trained with sounds that you wouldn't have had had you spoken English as a first language. Um, I think if you look deeply family, enough, everyone has these quirks. And W's. Yeah, everyone so, has this w something. Like, you, you know, I notice every now and again something I've never noticed before. I was like, oh, you say this like this. I'm sure I do it for certain things. Everyone has these strange all, little quirks. All, all W sounds are difficult for me. So, like, if I were to go back to my natural Indian accent, I'm like, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I hear that and I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's young Frankenstein. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, it's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, my family all speak Yiddish and um, are quite fluent in German. And I had cause to read some Klingon the other day. And the sounds you make in Yiddish and Hebrew are very dissimilar to the sounds you're caused to make with Klingon. So my enunciation was especially on point. <coughs> Apla. Nice. Yeah, there's little, mm-hmm. you know, little sounds like the sound. I know that about South Asian dialects. The, the W sound. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Ah, oh, languages are great. Very well, <laughs> I think that's yeah. about. And uh, we'll we'll sign off uh, from our Zoom from our rooms, and uh, you can sh- tune in next week. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. I wish I pronounced the movies differently. Good night. Bye. Bye.